right, so we, we have another version here of, of Vert Athlete, and we're really excited to have uh, Dr. Kerry McDonald on with us. He is the head men's volleyball coach at British Columbia Volleyball, and he also has a PhD in kinesiology specializing in sports medicine. And Kerry, again, thanks for, for being on with us today. <coughs> Excuse me. So uh, first, Kerry, what I'd like to do is, is you've already kind of garnered a name for yourself um, especially in Canada, as being one of the leads, is really being on the ground floor of, of quantifying uh, jump load and training load in your sport. Uh, and what I'd like to do is just kind of start off by telling a little bit of the story of, of how you, you initially got it started with your PhD and your interest in, you know, choosing that as your focus. For sure. Uh, yeah, happy to talk about it. Um, basically, what really led me down this path was it was in 2000 and, uh, 2010, actually, I was coaching uh, with another school at the University of Calgary, and we won the national championship that year. And at the end of the year, one thing I was, I really looked back on that season, I said, you know, it, it was such a grind and it was such a struggle. And one of the biggest struggles we were having was just trying to stay healthy. And in subsequent years, uh, the next year we ended up finishing third, and that year was this exact same situation. And I, and I thought that you know it was really a health issue on why we maybe weren't as good the following year. Um, and we just had guys that just couldn't train as much as we wanted to train, and, and were missing matches due to chronic overuse injuries, basically. Um, so I kind of wanted to dive into that a little bit further, and I've been thinking about it a little bit more. And I was fortunate enough that at the University of Calgary, there's um, the Sport Injury Prevention Research Center, which is an IOC-funded research center. Uh, that just looks at sport injury prevention. So I was really fortunate to get connected there with a uh, world-renowned uh, professor uh, in Dr. Wola Maywissa. And uh, yeah, we started kind of going from that. And then I didn't know how to really get into this. And I stumbled across Vert um, from a, another volleyball coach that saw it. At, I think it was a, an ABCA conference uh, around the women's NCAA finals and said, hey, there's this thing that can measure every single time you jump and how high. And, and at first, everyone was kind of really excited about, well, the, cool, we could see how high we jump, we could see how high we jump, and my mind immediately went to, so it counts every time we jump? All right, I need to get some of these. So that's really kind of where it all began for me. Very cool. Yeah, and, and, and that's, it's, it's a great story. It's one of the first stories I was told when I started actually working here at VERT. Um, yeah. So the other, the other piece I really want to talk to you about, because you've done so much research with, with load in the sport, uh, specifically not just looking at performance, but injury prevention, because as we know, if you're injured, you cannot perform, mm -hmm. right? So let's get to the heart of it. Um, yeah. When it comes to, to women in the sport, we already mm -hmm. know that there's been sort of a standardized average of, you know, limiting them, like our U.S. national team does this, to about 125 mm -hmm. jumps. You and I have talked mm -hmm. about this where on the men's side, it will be as high as, as 300 jumps, and yet, mm -hmm. uh, the injury rate on lower extremity for women is so much higher than men. And I just wanted mm -hmm. you to speak a little bit to that in terms of the, the research you've seen and, and sure. what you've done. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what we, what we see between the two genders is with the chronic overuse knee problems uh, that we're starting to capture and get doing a better job of measuring, we actually see the chronic issues to be a little bit higher in men. Uh, than we do in women, but we see the acute, like the ACL tears and blowouts. 
that's almost exclusively in women's volleyball. We very rarely see uh, those type of injuries in, in men's volleyball. So there's a little bit of a difference there. But yeah, when it comes to like the understanding the thresholds and the numbers, the way I like to think about it is really around a capacity piece. So the tendon itself has a capacity to withstand um, a certain amount of load. So if we're thinking of like a jumper's knee or patella tendinopathy or quadricep tendinopathy, um, the, those tendons have a capacity for load, and what we and they don't respond really well to sudden changes. Um, so they have a capacity, and we got to try and, and train within the capacity of the tendon. But what's really cool about our body and, and about tendons in general is that they can increase and decrease their capacities, and that can happen. It happens slowly, but we can really do that. So, um, so as far as a threshold goes, what I've kind of found is there isn't a magic number. Um, that works for everybody. Each individual is going to have a different capacity. So what we try and do is just develop capacity within our athletes. So I can tell you that we had an athlete this year that probably never jumped more than 160 times um, in a session. And that would be like a five-set match for that athlete. Um, and after that, would usually have some sort of a flare-up in their uh, jumper's knee. And then this summer, they were training with our national team all summer, doing two days all summer long. And they were easily doing 300, 350 jumps um, in a day. And yet, they would this summer, they didn't have any knee, knee pain. Uh, for the most part. So what we saw there was that basically he just developed greater capacity this summer and could handle that. And now 350 was fine, whereas last year 160 would, would really cause some problems. So he's developed a greater capacity. So what we try and do now is just work on that. And the biggest issue that I find is really at the start of the season. So when you kick off the yeah. season and when things are getting started, that's when the athlete's going to likely have the lowest capacity if they're coming off of a rest phase. So as coaches, we have to be intelligent to try to slowly build that capacity and I know we all start with two days. That's pretty common. So uh, we got to be smart with what we do in those two days. Yeah, and, and, and to that point, what we've done is, is we've looked at a lot of our programs here in the States. And we mm -hmm. said, and what we found was uh, in the spring, for example, uh, we mm -hmm. looked at the trend of jump height and jump count in the spring. And mm -hmm. exactly to your point, what we saw was a lot of these programs where like day one, they're at 150, 160. Even though their jump mm -hmm. count would decline, their mm -hmm. average jump, jump height would also decline. Mm -hmm. And then the other mm -hmm. programs where we, we saw very uh, purposefully that buildup, mm -hmm. well, guess what? Mm -hmm. By the end of the spring, they were jumping on average an inch and a half to two inches higher than they were at the beginning, which yeah, is exactly, exactly what you want. Um, so, yeah, yeah. No, I, I wanted to go over that because... As, as popular and frankly as powerful as jump count is uh, because it mm -hmm. does help it does give that first you know layer of defense so to speak um, mm -hmm. that that in, in and of itself can be a band-aid if, if people were to just manage jump count properly in that kind of progression we've discussed uh, then it becomes yeah. a lot more powerful and you're gonna have yeah. less injury and, and, and better performance from your athletes yeah exactly yeah, yeah. So no, that's, that's great. And that's, that's very interesting information. And if, if you could, just because, uh, some mm -hmm. people will be watching this will be coaches. And, and a lot of the people I want to speak to are, um, our parents who might have yeah. a boy or a girl 12 to 18 years old in the sport. And maybe they have been injured. Maybe they haven't. Uh, could you just yeah. go over, cause we're sitting here talking about, you know, tendinopathies. And, and some mm -hmm. people might be saying, I've never yeah. heard that word before. Um, totally. Could you give a quick, yeah. brief, like, all right, how does that leg work? How does that, when we're talking about lower extremities and, 
and women mm-hmm. being more anatomically prone to those injuries. Uh, just give a little yeah. bit of an overview of, of the terminology. Sure, yeah. Using. Yeah, so just so when it comes to kind of our, our lower extremity and, and particularly getting at the at the knee, um, we basically we see two primary injury types uh, in our sport of volleyball. So we see our chronic injuries, which is what we kind of classify as jumper's knee. And jumper's knee is kind of this all-encompassing kind of classification. And it really gets at anything um, around the knee joint that's that's tendon-based. And that's really usually, it's almost always patella tendon, uh, which is kind of your kneecap down to your shin, or quadricep tendon from your kneecap up to your quad. Um, so it's usually one of those two, and patella tendon is usually more common than, than quadricep tendon. But it's, yeah, it's, it's an aggravation of, of that tendon, and it's almost like micro tears within the tendon itself that gradually um, develop. Um, and then the body's kind of maladaptation and, and trying to heal itself, and, and we kind of keep loading that tendon and keep stressing that tendon. Trying to heal while, uh, you're while, while Yeah, while, yeah, exactly. While it's injured, we just kind of keep going at it, and, and we do this for years and years and years. And, you know, and then athletes who just take pop an ibuprofen and painkillers to just kind of get through it. And, and the crazy part is you can, like, you can kind of play through a lot of it, a lot of it, but it's, it's really, it can become really painful. And, and it's a real common reason why a lot of athletes actually, um, end up retiring from our sport, especially at the professional level is, is they just can't pay, play through that anymore. And then the second injury that we see more so, as we talked about earlier, is, is really more your acute um, ligament um, tears. So that's kind of like your ACL tear, MCL tear, um, usually more ACL. And yeah, it, for it's kind of the, the theories is anyways, it's really around kind of a knee valgus, which is basically the knee moving um, medially or more towards the midline of, of the body. When you see the people land and, and their knees try to kiss each other. Yeah, exactly. So their feet are shoulder width and their knees are touching. Yeah. Um, that's valgus, right? So that, that's, that's not, not a good thing. Yeah, that's not good. And that's put a lot of strength on, on that ACL. And that's, for whatever reason, what, uh, there's kind of some anatomical pieces around way, the way our hips are designed in, and differences between uh, males and females there that makes the ma- uh, females far more susceptible to ACL tears. Um, and it's usually it's usually a landing type uh, issue as well. It's the way they come down, the way they land with that valgus, and then they end up with the ACL tear. So, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, we don't really see that as much on the men's side, and it's mm-hmm. likely more anatomically uh, reasons why, and some potential strength reasons. There's more information coming out now, looking at kind of hip strength and the effect that the hips can have on trying to maintain that um, that new, that neutral knee angle. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of maybe a bit of a summary. Well, the the hips. Now that we'll get more in depth again, but the hips are what allow yeah. you to keep that external rotation of the femur to try to exactly. keep that valgus knee from coming in. And so, to parents and coaches yeah. who are who are watching this, essentially mm-hmm. you have the long term injury, and then you have that quick mm, um, yeah. burst injury, which again could be a exactly. result of bad movement over time, which it usually is. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, in volleyball, we all talk about I want to jump higher, I want to hit harder. Mm-hmm. Don't forget about how you're landing. Um, and we'll be doing a lot of work with videos and and we're going to bring Carrie in on this to go over, you know, what are the things you need to look at? So, you know, Mm -hmm. further down the line, keep a lookout for that because look, jump is half the battle, uh, lanes where these, these injuries tend to happen. So Carrie, again, thank you very much for that overview. No Um, problem. So the next thing is we've, we've already talked about how tracking jump count is important. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. we talked about how you can build up. That's frankly more important, and the best way to use jump count is to, to build up that mm-hmm. capacity. And now yeah. to go specifically to uh, to vert, as we said, you, you're very much on the ground floor of tracking training load in volleyball, and mm-hmm. I want to kind of walk through what you guys did 
for the initial studies. Like people ask us all the time, all right, so you're very, very accurate. How, how did people, uh, validate that essentially? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we, we did one of the first validation studies with vert. Um, basically as soon as I could get my hand on some units, we, we took it into the, into the labs at the university of Calgary and we did the validation. It was kind of a twofold validation. So, uh, the first part that we wanted to validate was actually just the jump count measure. Uh, because prior to VERT, we played around with some other accelerometers and some other groups that worked with some accelerometers. And one of the hardest pieces to do is actually have an accelerometer uh, identify a jump from all the other movements that we do in sport. That's really, really tricky to do. And so VERT was claiming they could do it, so we wanted to kind of show that. So uh, step one was literally just putting the device on an athlete and saying, okay, I want you to jump 10 times, and then making sure VERT counted 10 times. And then we went through all the different sports-specific movements. So we did serving and passing and setting and blocking and hitting, and we needed to make sure that it could capture all the times we did jump, but we also needed to make sure that it didn't capture all that didn't say we jumped when we didn't. Yep. And uh, especially in, in uh, movements such as diving, that's a movement that usually throws a lot of accelerometers off just the way the force profiles are there. Um, it can often kind of give you kind of a false positive and say that you jumped when you really didn't. So that was one of the pieces we needed to kind of confirm, and, and we confirmed that. Um, so we did that in a real controlled environment. Then we went into and we put it on the athletes and had them play games. And then uh, I had the the reward of getting to watch those games in slow motion on each player and making yeah. counting by hand how many times they, they jumped and what did the device say. So, Something. yeah, it was kind of a pain, yeah, painstakingly slow process to go through and count. I think we did 1,800 jumps in match play or something like that. And, uh, yeah, the device was incredibly accurate. Um, so then second piece was, was around the height value. So we wanted to validate, validate how accurate that was. Uh, so we took that into a 3D motion lab. Uh, we put the sensors, uh, little markers, re uh, retroflective markers around the pelvis of the athletes. We looked at their true center of mass. We made them jump. And then we looked at the displacement, how much they went up and down, um, and, uh, and compare the values from 3D motion capture, which is really the gold standard on measuring jump height, to what Vert was giving us. At the same time, we actually also used like the Vertec device, or like kind of a veined jumping device uh, that you reach and touch, which a lot of people in volleyball are probably pretty familiar with. And we had them jump off of force plates, and we looked at flight time, and we did all that. And what we found was Vert was basically just as good as anything else that was on the market. So uh, it's quite accurate to within a couple of centimeters. And uh, so we were really comfortable, therefore, moving forward with the device and, and future research that we were doing. But that was basically the process on how we validated it. Yeah, cool. No, no, thanks for the story. I, I did have the, the opportunity to go up to the biomechanics lab and run through the validation mm -hmm. process. And they just have such an unbelievable team up there. And I was like yeah. a kid in a candy store at that facility. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, great. So the, the last things I'd really like to go over is, and, and honestly, you've, you've touched on it just by talking about the importance of building that capacity, but um, mm -hmm. kind of telling a little bit of the story of, of how you use VERT with your team sure. uh, and, yeah. and specifically, you know, not as much as the obvious stuff, but more like the fun, creative things you might be doing uh, that, that other sure. programs could do to help them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, probably the, f the first and foremost way that we use Vert, like I, I really don't know how I would coach or train now without it, to be honest, because it actually prescribes my jump counts on a day-to-day -day basis. So we talk about how we're trying to develop capacity. 
well, I understand where our athletes' capacity is currently at and where I'm trying to get them to. And we basically are on a kind of a gradual increase prescription. And then we're monitoring within season how their bodies are doing and we're changing our jump loads on a day-to-day basis. So uh, the daily monitoring is probably, in my mind, is actually the, the most important piece uh, in order to keep our athletes, A, healthy, um, but B, getting them up to the uh, capacity that is needed to play our sport. So we need, we understand now how many times a middle blocker has to jump in a five-set match or a left-side attacker or a right-side attacker. So now what we're trying to do is make sure that we're getting to those capacities so that um, the athletes can handle those types of load. So probably first and foremost is, is that piece. It's, it's really prescribing daily uh, with each of our individual athletes how many times uh, they can jump that day and, and how many we want them to jump. So uh, that would be step number one. Uh, number two is kind of more the more the fun stuff starts to come in. So that's where we start looking at a lot of our hype values and using that as a measure of our performance. So uh, we look at it from a fatigue stance. Uh, so understanding like when we see drop-offs in their peak jump heights um, and how fatigued is the athlete potentially. Um, and then we're looking at it with uh, things like, say, our jump setters. So looking at our setters, when they're jump setting in a match, we can take a look and say, what is their average jump set height in a, in a match? And we want to make sure that when we're training jump setting in practice, we're jump setting at about the same height as we're doing in a match. And what we frequently see, especially jump, uh, setting and serving are two skills in particular that we find we don't jump nearly as high in practice when we're training it than we do in the match. So if we're not jumping as high, we're not really training the same skill. Uh, it's slightly different, right? And there's going to be some slight compensations, and there's, therefore the transfer in our skill development is not going to be as great as it could possibly be. So those are a couple of ways that we really try and uh, look at more of the height measure uh, right now. Yeah, and that's and, and I've had that you know similar stories from other programs who really use a system where in volleyball, because there's so much communication, you know, especially mm-hmm. from a setter to any of their hitters, mm-hmm. you have to practice it like you do it in game. Because yeah. the communication breaks totally. down, and then you have to adjust. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, that's yeah, that's great. And then just to, to end, um, mm-hmm. and this is more for our viewers. Uh, Carrie's mm-hmm. working very closely with us on, on the new vert team system. So the research mm-hmm. we're doing at that that next level, where we are looking and quantifying, because for those who don't know, we do have a, a higher end vert team system that can actually look at landing impact. Um, we're doing a lot of work here to see that next step and that next level, because again, jumping's half the battle. And, and as we do more research, obviously we'll come back on and do other videos uh, to, to make sure people are as up to date as, as we all are um, on the research. But again, Kerry, really, really appreciate the time and uh, no look forward to chatting with you again soon. Yeah, thanks so much, David. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. I'm really excited to see uh, where, where things are going with Vert and with the new units and and all the information we're getting and how we can best utilize it. So it's an exciting time for sure. Absolutely. All right. Thanks. Thanks.